Hebrews. Turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are going back to the book of Hebrews, but not to the study that we left off on. <clears throat> By the way, I caught this cold while I was down there. You, I, you leave Minnesota, you go to Florida, and you catch a cold. Now, you'll figure. A chest cold, and it's in that uh, awkward, productive coughing stage. Uh, so, <laughs> do you ever, have you ever mic'd your own productive coughs? Uh, they're not pleasant. So as I'm up here talking, if I, <clears throat> you know, whatever, uh, put up with it. We're all human. We all hear the same sounds. Uh, it just goes with the territory. <clears throat> all right. Well, that was a good one. I, uh, we're going back to the book of Hebrews, but I'm not yet going to go back to the study of Hebrews 8 through 10 that we left off with uh, sometime in the distant past. Uh, I want to this morning give a, a, a sort of a, a State of the Union address. Uh, Bill Clinton's going to give a State of the Union address here in the next couple of weeks, so I figure it's a good thing for us to do, too. It's a time for us to just kind of uh, do a review of uh, how we're doing. Uh, why are we here? Remind ourselves why we are here. Uh, ask the question, how are we doing? And then ask the question, where are we going? I've, uh, the last several years, done this. Um, the first Sunday I was available in January to kind of take a look at the year in the past and the year that is coming. And that's what I want to do here this morning. The verse I want to read comes out of Hebrews chapter 13, and it's really more for me than it is for you. It's what motivates me to want to do this review. Uh, starting with verse 17. Here's a verse we haven't preached on in a long time. But I think maybe we should start this morning. Obey your leaders and submit to them. <laughs> My car needs a washing. Will you? <laughs> that's not what the verse means. And, and when we get to Hebrews 13, we'll talk about that. But that's not the part that, that is fueling me here this morning. Listen to this next part. For they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Um, there are, for those in leadership starting with me and throughout the church and any of you who have leadership in any area, you give an account of what you're doing. Um, and that's something we need to take very seriously, to give an account. And that means you should stop and review. We do this periodically in leadership. We need to do it once a year as a congregation. Review. Uh, okay, what, how's it going? Where are we at? Let them do this. Let the leaders do this with joy and not with sighing. <laughs> Bible's so realistic. Like, oh, Lord. I don't want to give an account of these people. Uh, for that would be harmful to you. Pray for us, he says. Verse 18, we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. But be in prayer for us. Let's pray together here. Lord, I, I, uh, just, I thank you, Lord, that you are the glorious, loving Lord that we just worshipped and worship, Lord. And uh, God, this morning I have felt your crashing waves of love flowing over me. I pray, Lord God, that, that there are others out here in this congregation this morning that have felt, seen, experienced that same thing. Like, a, like, like, a, like a, uh, a stormy ocean that will not let up. Wave after wave, you crash on us with your love. With your love, Lord. And I thank you for it, and I praise you for it. It alone is what makes all of this meaningful, and it alone is what makes all this possible. Now, Lord, I want to ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, anoint this word. I pray, Lord God, that you'd use this message as a way of kind of bringing the pieces together for us as a body, as a community, as an army, to take inventory. And, Lord, to give you the chance to adjust what needs to be adjusted. Because we seek, above all else, to do your will. And this is meaningless if it's not about that. So, Lord, be present here. Be anointing here. Be empowering this, we pray in your name. And all God's people said, Amen. I wanted to ask this question in the next half hour. 
Why are we here? Let's, let's, let's review the question. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Um, how are we doing at fulfilling why are we here? And where are we going from here? We, need to, we are going to give an account of, of what's going on. And so we need to ask that question. The question is all the more important, I think, because we live in a cultural context which rarely asks questions like this. I think in the cultural religion of America, which is sort of a, a fusion of deism, paganism, and Christianity, the, the way that most people think about church is something like this. Um, they, they think of church kind of in the categories that they think about Walmart and, and Target and Burger King and McDonald's in. Um, they think about the church as something you go to and maybe you're supposed to pay a little bit of money and you get a product back. You get serviced. And the purpose of the church is to sort of make your life a little better, a little bit nicer, give you something to think about perhaps. Maybe you like the music or whatever. Take care of your kids for a couple hours. That's what the church is there for. Target's got its product. Walmart's got its product. (coughs) Burger King, McDonald's have their product, and churches have their product. And so what people do is they generally shop for a church that's going to service them, give them what they want to hear, give them what they need, make their life a little bit better. And when they stop doing that, they move on to the next church. The purpose is about me. The church that is successful is the one that serves you the best and does it to the most people. The biggest food chain, the biggest Walmart, the biggest Target, the biggest church is considered the the best church. That's, I think, the way our culture generally tends to assess churches. And actually, by that criteria, we wouldn't be doing too bad. I don't think we service as good as other churches do. Uh, That's not the primary thing that we are about. But we are growing. And I I don't want to make that a negative thing. That's a good thing. Thank God for that. We want to impact as many lives as possible. We want to make as big a difference in the Twin Cities and throughout the world as we possibly can. So thank God for growth. This last year, 98, was a good year. We, We left Harding. We came over here. That opened up another 400 seats per Sunday morning. And apparently there's not a whole lot of vacancies. Um, and we started the Sunday night service, and we have three or 400 people usually attending that. We've grown somewhere between five and 600 people, so far as we can tell, uh, in, in 98. And thank God for that. That's 600 lives that we get to have an input on that we otherwise wouldn't have an input on. But growth isn't the name of the game from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective, from the Lord's perspective. A church is not successful because it's growing, because it's got a lot of people. You can do that. You can build big empires secular and religious, without having a thing to do with the gospel. In fact, sometimes I bet it helps. Growth isn't the criteria for it. The church, the problem, see, with our cultural view of church is that the purpose of the church is not to meet our individual needs, not first and foremost. The gospel always does that, but that's not why you set up shop. The purpose isn't to serve the customer, to give them a product that they like, to make their life just a little bit better, and to get as many people as possible. That's not the purpose of the church. That's not why the Lord calls us. That's not what we're commissioned to do. And if that's your criteria, it's a wrong criteria. When, 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 when preachers and, and churches get that secular, carnal criteria operating in their minds, they end up watering down the gospel invariably. They water down worship so it's not offensive. They water down preaching so it's not offensive. They twist everything to try to market to the customers, and, and the bite, the radical edge, the prophetic move of the gospel gets lost. And you end up having something that maybe is nice and sweet and whatever, but it's not, it doesn't have the transforming power that the gospel is supposed to have. Jesus doesn't call us to bigness. He calls us to make radical disciples, amen? He calls us to make radical disciples. I don't see anywhere in the Gospels where Jesus once was concerned about numbers. 
Now, thank God for numbers, you know. Praise God. Draw as many people as, as, as you will, Lord. Um, but the Lord didn't go around trying to soften up his message and make it look nice and make it look sweet and make it look comfortable. In fact, sometimes he said some things that were positively offensive because he wanted to drive a wedge between those who were going to get committed for the right reasons and those who weren't. One time in Mark 4, the disciples asked, Lord, why do you talk in parables? You know, they're hard to understand and they don't really entertain that well and, 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 and you know... It's, uh, there's better ways to teach. And the Lord says, well, I teach in parables so that those who see will not see and those who hear will not hear. Well, 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 what's going on there? What the Lord in essence is doing is this. He's saying, I want people who will, are willing to dig, who, are, who know the cost of discipleship and are willing to pay a price when they follow. And if they don't get it the first time, they dig deeper. They're, they're in love with the word and they're willing to dig into the word. The Lord sometimes said things positively offensive in order to, to winnow out those who were following for the wrong reasons. And there were times in his, in his ministry where people, in fact, did leave him. The whole crowd left. We're tired of this. There's like a new show in town down the road, and we're going to go follow him. And the Lord says to his disciples, All right, well, are you also going to leave? Disciples say no, because where else would we go to get the word of life? A lot of ways we could go to get entertained better, service better, maybe have a, you know, but, but you've got the word of life. Jesus never was concerned with bigness. When he died and ascended in heaven, he had basically 12 people there, and they didn't have their theology all on straight. And see, by the world standards, you think that a church planner who had 12 people after three years was a kind of a poor, unsuccessful church planner. Wrong. Because the criteria for doing kingdom work is not how big it is, how nice it is, how swell it is. The kingdom for doing, criteria, uh, for, for, for doing kingdom work is are you walking in the Father's will? Amen? Are you doing what God has called you to do? With whatever people the Lord calls you to do it to, fine, you do that. But you walk in obedience to Him. Jesus Christ was the most successful preacher in the world. Because He got those 12 people there because those are those 12 that the Lord wanted to be there. Amen? Amen. And so it is with the church. We're called here to be obedient. The Lord taught me this uh, right at the beginning of, of uh, Woodland Hills Church. Greg, your only criteria for success is, do you do what I called you to do? I'll take care of everything else. Man, is that freeing. Man, is that freeing. If we ever lose that focus about what we're really called to be, and if, if, if I ever start you know, taking opinion polls, hear a lot about opinion polls these days. We're trying to define right and wrong, so far as I can tell, on the basis of opinion polls. If we ever start preaching a gospel based on you know, what do people like to hear and what not like to hear, will somebody please fire me? Because it's not at all what, what we're called to do. What you're called to hear. We're called to preach the word, amen? And nothing but the word, amen? So this leads to the question of why are we here? Why do we exist? The church exists. Not to be a competitor with the culture in terms of entertainment and niceness and servicing and consumerism and all sorts of other things. The church exists for this reason. The Lord wants a bride of people that he loves. And the Lord wants his bride to be a mighty army. Amen. And the church is supposed to be, the church universal is supposed to be uh, an army of people in love with Jesus Christ who by that love confront the kingdom of darkness with the kingdom of light. Amen. We are called to be spreading the kingdom of, of, of God against the kingdom of darkness throughout this world. We are called to understand that we are people stationed behind enemy lines. This world is still under the bondage of the enemy, the one who is the God of this age, the Bible says, the principality and power of this air, the one who controls all the dominions and authorities and the governments, all the governments of this world. And we are called to be guerrilla warriors. That's what the church is called to do, to be spreading the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness and laying the foundation for the Lord to return when he's going to set up his kingdom once and for all upon this earth. We are called to be, as it were, John the Baptist 
who are making way, uh, the, the, uh, making straight the way of our Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. John the Baptist did it for the Lord's first coming. We are to be doing it for the Lord's second coming, laying the groundwork, spreading the kingdom. So when the Lord comes, he sets up his kingdom and reigns throughout eternity. That's what the church is called to be, and nothing but that. Amen? Amen. Now, what Woodland Hills Church in particular is called to be is a slice of that and the location that the Lord calls us to do that slice. We, have, we are called to expand the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness in the city of St. Paul and the surrounding area. And as people are raised up within the church who have a, a heart for global missions, to commission them and empower them to do it in any part of the world that they're led to go to. But that's our niche. To advance the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness. To spread that here in the St. Paul area. More specifically, the, 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 the message that God has given us in Woodland Hills Church to more specifically be a preaching, it has to do with passion. One of the strongholds, I think the dominant stronghold in the city of St. Paul in the surrounding area is the stronghold of religious apathy. A lot of religion. A lot of apathy about religion. And we're called to confront that. We're called, this ministry has been called, why we exist, is we're called to proclaim uh, and empower and inspire and motivate and equip believers to have a radical, sold-out passion for our Lord Jesus Christ. A passion that corresponds with His passion, His compassion towards us. We are called to make radical, passionate disciples of a compassionate Lord. We are called, Woodland Hills Church has been called specifically to play this role in the kingdom here in the Twin Cities. To be raising up a people who understand that the gospel is supposed to be counter-cultural, confronting the culture around us. That the gospel has this prophetic edge. That we are all, every one of us, we hear this over and over again here and we won't stop it because it's true that we're called to be missionaries. We are missionaries in a pagan environment, in a world under bondage to the enemy. And wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we do, we're to be caring about a mission. The mission that the Lord has given to us is supposed to define everything that we're about. We are missionaries. And we're called to raise up a people here in the face of a church that is sometimes apathetic, in the face of a, face of a culture that's got a lot of religion but is very apathetic, to bring the message of the gospel with a radical edge and with a passion. That's why we in particular exist. When the church stops being that, when the church stops confronting the culture and starts buying into the culture, I mentioned this around Christmas time. We need to review on this. This is part of the reason why we exist. The church ceases to be the church. A Christianity that sells out to the culture ends up not buying into the culture. It ends up endorsing and even feeding the very things that it's supposed to confront. The church, by definition, has always got to be countercultural with that missionary kind of a mindset. What makes being a missionary in the United States, and in St. Paul in particular, so difficult is precisely that so much of the culture has an echo, a veneer, or a shadow of Christianity around it. If you are a missionary in other parts of the world, the, the, the lines between what is and is not Christian is very clear. So you, uh, you see the difference. But in our culture, one of the things that the enemy has done is he's confused all the categories. Do you know that over three out of four Americans identify themselves as being Christian? Now that doesn't mean anything in terms of content if you try to flush it out. But if you ask them, are you Christian? Over three out of four, in fact it's over 80%, would say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm Christian. In fact, 52% 
uh, would, would, would identify themselves as being born again. Now, now, again, that term might mean nothing. In fact, I'm quite sure in many cases it does mean something, but, but they claim to be born again. And you think, whoa, praise God, we're winning over half the cultures on our side, we're, you know, whatever. But see, the problem in this culture is that that's not a victory kind of thing. That's the problem. Every study we've ever done on this culture, a, a huge study was done in 1992, I've mentioned it before, um, that, that showed what is the internal morality of Americans. What are our internal moral convictions? What it basically discovered is this, we don't have any. In fact, we are, in terms of what we would do if we would not get caught, we are the most immoral country, developed country on the planet. So what does that tell you? It tells you this. We perfectly fulfill the prophecy that Paul gave in 1 Timothy. That in the latter days there will be a people who are professing religion. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. They don't live the power of it. In other words, they got a lot of theoretical professing belief, but there's no reality to it. There's nothing real there. There's no passion there. There's no spirit there. There's no transformation there. That, I think, defines, to a large degree, the religion of our culture. It also... It, for what it's worth, it completely explains how we, as a culture, have going on right now what we have going on right now. How is it? I, I wonder about this. How is it possible that it seems like the more that we find out about Bill Clinton and, and, and the, 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 the crimes that he's committed and the sexual stuff that went on, his popularity goes higher and higher and higher. His approval rating, almost 70% of people approve of him. Yes, yeah, good, good president, you know. Because it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, he probably shouldn't have had that, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, lighter note, but it doesn't matter. Chief law enforcement officer broke an oath to a grand jury. Yeah, but it really doesn't matter. The economy is doing well. Hallelujah. My pocketbook's a little bit thicker. Nothing else really matters. What explains that? In a country where three out of four, more than three out of four say they're Christian, and 52% say that they're born again. The answer is this. We have got, and so far as I can see, have had for a long, long time, a lot, of, a lot of verbal religion, a lot of veneer, a lot of shallow stuff. But what we are called to be, people of God, what we are called to be, what we are called to do is to be a people who embody the Spirit, who embody the, the, the reality, who embody the transformation of what the gospel is all about. Amen? Who live that out. When, they, when, 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 when the church ceases to realize that it is against the culture and, 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 and is not to be a part of the culture, Christianity begins to disappear because it starts to be irrelevant, like so much of the church is in our culture today. You look at any, hear me on this, study any of those countries that were at one time officially Christian. They had a state religion or a, a national religion. You were a Christian by virtue of being born in this country. Denmark, Sweden, Amsterdam. Go to Amsterdam sometime and just see what a great religious experience you're going to have. Um, Belgian, uh, go down the list. Wherever Christians have thought we have arrived, we live in a Christian country, you know, I, of course everybody's a Christian. Christianity stops being relevant and stops being believed, and before you know it, uh, things go topsy-turvy. The prophetic word that I got in my heart here this morning is this. I, America is, if things don't change, headed in that direction. And what defines the, the uh, a central part of the vision at Woodland Hills Church? is we want to be about raising up a people who understand. Lord God, let this land. A people who understand that it's not, about, it's not about fitting in with the culture, who understand that they're missionaries, who understand the countercultural convictions that we are to have. A people who have the guts to stand up against what we need to stand up against. Amen? Who have got the boldness of the Spirit, who understand their life is ministry. 
More specifically, what Woodland Hills Church, this is the vision that God has given to us. The way that we are to expand the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness here in St. Paul. It's not about, you guys, church is not about a Sunday morning, let's have a nice song service, let's have an entertaining sermon kind of a thing. If that's your mindset, you're in the wrong place. Christianity is about raising up, training, inspiring, motivating a people who walk in the Spirit. We want to transition non-believers into becoming convinced believers. That's why we exist. We want to transition lukewarm Christians, mediocre Christians, cultural Christians, into becoming passionate, radical, sold-out disciples of the Lord. We want to transition wounded victims to make them empowered conquerors. We want to transition Christians who have, who have understood their life, who have bought into the individualist lie. It's just a me and Jesus, personal, private kind of a thing. And who, who are rather sold out and understand the value of community because without community, there really is no Christianity. We want to transition pew sitters into people who are vibrant ministers for the gospel. We want to transition spectators, people who just uh, spectate and observe Christianity, into becoming kingdom warriors. And we want to be used by, by God's grace, we want to be used to do that, not just for the people that are here, but as much as possible to the church in the Twin Cities. To begin to work with other churches, to take to take what is too much of a, of a regional divided church where churches exist in competition with one another and there's a provincialism here and there's no cooperation and we want to do whatever we can do, whatever role we can play to begin to get us to think like a team and to act like a team and to put aside some differences for the common ground that we have between us that this church as a whole, that church in the Twin Cities as a whole would begin to act like a team. That, ladies and gentlemen, that is why we exist. That's our purpose. That defines us right there. That's the vision. Our mission and our vision statement is right there. Now the question is this. How are we doing? How are we doing? And I want to, before I even begin, I want to say this. How are we doing? I mean, some of you got worried. Before I begin to talk about this point, I'm two-thirds through my sermon, so relax. Um, (laughs) That was my introduction. No. Um, In some ways, saying how are we doing is the wrong question. The question is, is how is God doing? And God is doing great. In fact, God is doing great. Usually, in fact, however much we get our act together, I think we'll always answer this question, or this statement will always be true, that what God is doing is he's doing at least as much in spite of us as he is because of us. Praise God. Um, so so it, it's what is God doing, and God gets the glory for all that he is doing. Still, one of the things I've learned at Woodland Hills Church uh, in the last six years, I've learned more in the last six years than I ever did through all my seminary and college and graduate school education. I've learned patience, and I've learned intentionality. I'm still learning patience and still learning intentionality. What I mean by intentionality is this. I tend to have this idea of like, oh, God will do it, and, you know, this is kind of free will and shoot from the cuff. And what I've learned is that we have, I have an accountability to God, and I've got to be very intentional about that. And so we need to ask the question, how are we doing in terms of putting ourselves in the position where God can use us and do what he wants to do? Okay, so let's do an inventory here. How are we doing? And I mean by that, how are we doing at at attaining the vision here? And and, and by that I mean, how are we doing by putting ourselves in a position where God can use us? And I want to say great, but we can be doing greater. God is doing some great things. And let me just quickly run through, uh, just a kind of a year in review here, um, run through some of the things that, that God has been doing. One, in terms of transitioning non-believers into believers. Uh, we don't have here on Sunday morning mass altar calls. We invite people forward usually uh, to pray, and on occasion a person accepts the Lord here. But see, on Sunday mornings, I am specifically, self-consciously, unless I tell you otherwise, I'm talking to the army here. 
I want to be a kind of a general that's charging the soldiers to think a certain way and to have certain priorities and to be a certain way and to let God use this time to, to transform us so that when we go out of here, we're doing the kingdom stuff. That's the focus that we've had. So we don't, you know, you don't see Billy Graham sort of uh, salvations up here. But God has been saving people and it's been beautiful. We need to find, be better at this, finding other avenues for people to have a context in which they can, can come to accept the Lord. This morning, these Alpha programs, bingo. Got, here's some people who just got on their heart to start a ministry and it is powerful. It is just powerful. Uh, several months ago, we, we were, it was reported that five people came to accept the Lord at one of those suppers. Five people. Pray, and we want to give God the glory for that. Thank you, Lord. Continue to do that. God is saving people through that ministry. But we also hear reports of, of, of God saving people through your ministry, here and there, on the block, in the workplace, or whatever. Uh, God is, is, is at work. We also have seen in 98, we've seen this in previous years, people, I wouldn't know, sometimes this happens in a strange way. Um, people come to the Lord who have been attending for some time. Uh, this last year, there's a man who has been attending for about two years, uh, struggled with a lot of different sin in his life, uh, struggled with alcoholism. He wasn't a believer. He told us he wasn't a believer, didn't agree with some of the things that were said, and he kind of liked to argue about it once in a while, but he kept on attending. And so we're like, praise God, let him, you know, get in the context where he's going to experience the Spirit. Um, he said he kept on attending because he liked the music, you know, and Norm's kind of cool, and, and once in a while I'm kind of funny, though he tends to disagree with me a lot. And, um, you know, and, and I think maybe he had some other reasons, too. Uh, the people were nice and some pretty girls, and I don't know what his reasons were. But he kept on coming, and we thank God for that in this last September. Something happened in one of the services. The coin dropped in a slot. He came under conviction, repented of his sins, and gave his life over to Jesus Christ. Praise God. That is God's doing, and we want to give God praise for it and give God the glory for it. We want to have an environment where it's okay to be in process. Not everyone in this auditorium right now is a Christian. A lot of you are in process on stuff. We want to say praise God for that. Keep on coming. Keep coming into the context of this. Let God work in your life. So we want to give God the glory for that. At the same time, we want to be saying, Lord, we want more of that. We want more of that, Lord. And I would encourage you to be walking with an awareness that you're an evangelist. Wherever you go, you are salt. Wherever you go, you are light. Wherever you go, you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And be looking for opportunities to share Christ in some capacity with those who are around you. We also exist to transition mediocre or lukewarm believers, a lot of times unchurched believers, into radical sold-out disciples for the Lord. In fact, I would say that this is, this is, I think, the main niche thus far that God has used this church to do. Um, we, we, we tend to be about confronting cultural Christians and getting them to wake up to the reality of the kingdom work that they're supposed to be involved in. And God has been doing a lot of that. Uh, we've just seen a lot of that. Let me give you one uh, example of it. Several years ago, a couple uh, came here to church they were raised in the church in some capacity, but for various reasons, stopped going. A lot of you are, have this story. Stopped going. The, the, the wife had stopped going because at the age of 12, her dog had died, and the pastor told her, she asked the pastor, will my dog be in heaven? And uh, the pastor said, dogs don't go to heaven. No dogs go to heaven. And, um, uh, and then this has this destroyed her. It's like, what? Oh, what, what kind of God would do this? Um, and, and she just said, if God's going to be that cruel, then I don't want to live for him. And now it's about 30 years later, and they, they decide there's some things in their life. They're just feeling kind of empty. They come back to church, and they want to try it out. And um, I meet her in the visitor's room, and she asks me the question, do dogs go to heaven? <laughs> see, and a lot hangs on this. A lot hangs on this, and I can see it in her eyes. 
Um, and so my answer, so one that C.S. Lewis always gave, um, I, was that if you need your dog to be in heaven, for it to be heaven, God will find a way to get him there. Praise God. I don't know about dogs in general, but amen. <laughs> a lot of pet lovers here, I take it. Well, you know, so, so animals get saved by proxy if they're with saved owners. They, they <laughs> a new doctrine I tell unto you. Well, okay, no, no, that was the lead. They had a lot of questions, a lot of New Age beliefs, a lot of New Age beliefs, a lot of uh, stuff going on in their life. But you know what? They, they kept on coming. There's something, they sense a reality, they sense a power, so they keep on, on, on coming. And in time, God works with their life, and they get plugged into other Christians, and they're gradually learning. They take some classes here, and they're gradually growing. Several weeks ago, I was back on the Sunday night service back there. We got a little dance crew. We danced during the service there. If you like to dance, come to the Sunday night service. Uh, it, it's a great time. And I happened to look out there, and I saw this couple. I was just reminded of them. Uh, they were right up here, and they were just, it was so beautiful. She was crying as the Lord's moving in their life, and they're just worshiping God. They're involved in ministry. God's working in their life. That is, that, that is getting the puck in the net, praise God. Or today, I should say, that's getting the, the football between the uprights. You know, That's getting in the end zone. That's what we exist for, praise God. And God's been, 98 was a good year in that. At the same time, we want more of it. We want more of it. And I want to challenge you. However sold out you are, if you're at, at M, you're a lot better than all the people that are back there at B or C or D. You're way in the you know, M. You see what I'm saying here in terms of the progress? Yeah, but there's still an N, an O, and a P, and a Q. We can all grow, right, in the Christian life. We can, however passionate you are, you can become more passionate. However radical you are, you can become more radical. There's always more of the gospel, always more life that we can be moving into. And I want to encourage you to continue in that. To be sold out for the Lord. In terms of uh, transitioning individuals into community. Uh, individualistic Christians into communitarian Christians. Christians understand the value of community. This has been an area that God has really worked in. Two years ago, I gave the State of the Union, and we had six small groups. After having existed for three and a half years, we had six small groups. Uh, today, we have over 100, or almost 100. Over 100 people, or 100 different small groups that people are involved in. Over 1,000 people that are plugged into small groups. This, th- these are the people who are to be visiting you in the hospital when you're sick, who pray for you, who struggle with you when you're going through marriage problems, who, who can uh, keep you accountable when you fall into sin. And there are more and more people who are getting involved in that. And we want to say praise God for that. Thank God for that. Um, and that's just the ones that we know about. There are many others who have covenant groups with other churches or just uh, unofficial covenant groups, but we thank God for that. At the same time, for 99, can I challenge you? Those who are not plugged in to some group to do so, do not be an individualistic Christian who just does a you and Jesus thing. We're meant to be really plugged in with one another, living life together, raising our kids together, struggling through life together, growing in grace together. And I encourage you to uh, to do that. Finally, about... um, networking with other churches. We want to be a catalyst, not just for the people who come here, but we really want to try to be a team player with, with other churches. And this is an area we're just starting to get off the ground on. Uh, we, you know, the, the church in America reinvents the wheel more than any other organization on the planet. Uh, we think that if other, another church has it, we have to have it. Well, actually, if another church has it, that's one reason why you don't need to have it. Why not just have a fellowship with them and send your people over there so that they can get what that church has? Like, for example, the Passion Play. 
we're not going to have a passion play. As long as North Heights is doing such a good job of it, we're just going to say, well, you know, we're for that. Let's go over there and we'll see a great passion play. It's better than we could ever do. I mean, why reinvent something? Why compete? You don't need to be doing that. So we're resourcing with, with, with other churches, trying to network with other churches. We're going to be doing some pulpit trading with other churches, meeting together for prayer with other churches because we want to be a part of the team. Bottom line here, folks, can I encourage you with this? And I, I'm just going to say a word about where we're going. Um, the bottom line is this. Will you be, number one, perpetually hungry? Let's covenant together here not to ever get satisfied. I don't care how, how great it gets. I don't care, you know, how passionate our worship is and how the anointed the preaching is and how many uh, covenant groups we have. God can always do more, amen? God is always bigger than where we've arrived at. And God's always bigger than where we can possibly envisage him being. So stay hungry. Let's covenant together to always be craving and praying for God to do more things. I want to see more passion. I want to see more souls saved. I want to see more people healed. I want to see more people sold out. I want us in 99 to have a more vibrant, more passionate worship service than we had in 98. Thank God for where we are. Let's keep on going. Every time you come here on Sunday morning, be making this decision. I want to worship God more this week than I did last week. Amen? I want to be just constantly going further in the kingdom. To see God do more and more things, to display his glory more, to show off his might more, to demonstrate his power more, to see more lives changed, marriage healed, uh, and, and so on and so on. Stay hungry. And number two, keep a vision. Keep a vision for what God can do. Um, a little piece of my heart here. You know what? I really believe that God, I, it feels like we've just always been in preparation for what God wants to do. He's been doing a lot of stuff, but we've been in preparation for the main thing he wants to do. And it is huge. It's just huge. But the Lord always said, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith. The question for us is this. Do we have the faith to keep up with God? To see, just get a picture of what Woodland Hills Church could be. Not for our name's sake, but for the kingdom's sake. And also in terms of helping other churches. Keep that in mind. Keep that. Be praying about that. Would you covenant to pray for the ministry here? That it would be all that God wants it to be. Be praying for your ministry individually. That you would be all that God wants you to be. Finally, where are we going from here? And I'll just say this in three minutes. Two things to talk about. One is location. The other one has to do with the quality of the church. In terms of where we are going from here, we are committed to staying in the St. Paul area. We just feel that we're called to the city. Not necessarily the inner city. We've, we've functioned as kind of a cross between the suburban church and the inner city church. And we want to be doing more of that. That, that kind of defines who we are. But our, uh, we want to stay as close to St. Paul as possible. That's our commitment to you. We really believe, for a lot of reasons I can't go into, commercial break here, I'm going to be talking about a lot of this stuff on January 24th. Uh, we're having a covenant partner meeting, or a town meeting we're calling it. I would implore all of you who want to have more buy-in, more commitment to Woodland Hills Church beyond Sunday morning to show up at that, because we're going to give you a bunch of information uh, that, 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 that is very, very crucial. Um, but for a lot of reasons, I can't talk about now, we, we, we believe that we are going to eventually need our own building, our own place, uh, to call our own. And we're, we have a building committee that is looking for this. In fact, there's some cool things that are beginning to happen that we'll tell you more about as time goes on. I learned from Phelan that I shouldn't, I shouldn't personally get myself totally hyped up about a possibility and get everyone else hyped up about a possibility unless unless there's some possibility to it. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm learning, folks, okay. You know, accept me as I am. I'm growing. Uh, so, but, but there's some stuff, that, and be praying about that, that God would open up a place for us to be where we could be all that, that he wants us to be. Um, 
Uh, we're also growing, uh, our commitment, where, where we're going is uh, for 99 and the year 2000, we want to go deep. Deep. Let God give the increases he wants to, but we want to go deep. We want to go deep in terms of training. Uh, we've we've, we've uh, hired on Paul Eddy, who's a professor at, Sem at uh, Bethel College, and he's put together a curriculum, an educational curriculum, that we're going to be offering to people. We, we need more of the Word, amen? We need more study of the Word and, and, and to be growing in our understanding. And, and so we want to make that available to people. You can only do so much on a Sunday morning in 30 minutes. We also are having all of our leaders go through a, a, a training track, um, which involves four seminars, because we're really seeing the need that we can't do all that God wants us to be unless our foundation is settled, amen? Unless we are all on the same page and it's solid. You'll only get as far in the kingdom as you are solid at the foundation. And so we're, we're uh, uh, in 99 putting all that together. The final thing, and this has to do with this, this town meeting, is this. Uh, we are really sensing the need for a deeper commitment base among the people that attend Willen Hills Church. Uh, people who own this as their church, who really say yes and are committed to it, who have a covenantal relationship with it and, and are, are willing to stick with us and, and think with us and pray with us through, through tough times. Um, and that's what the, the town meeting is all about, to let you know kind of what, what that whole thing is going to be about. Let me say this in closing. I want to just say that I love you folks, uh, and I know I'm expressing the heart of, of all the leaders at Woodland Hills Church, and I so much appreciate your faithfulness to this ministry, despite the fact that, quite honestly, uh, we in leadership have not given you very much reason uh, to be committed. The Lord's given you a lot of reasons, but we haven't done our part. Uh, and, and I'm not going to feel guilty about that. It's just that we're, we're learning and growing, okay? Uh, but despite the fact that, that, how many of you know our Constitution? None of you, because we don't have one, okay? Uh, we are right now at the place where we should have been when, we, when, when, when Woodland Hills was planted, okay? Here we are. This is a church that's grown backwards. we got this church here, and we're right now, we've just gotten place, after two years of working on it, uh, what you really should have before you ever start a church, okay? So things are a little bit backwards around here, you know? Uh, but that's okay. We're growing. But without having a budget report, for two years, no one's known where, where the money goes and whatever. And we've been good stewards of it, but how would you know that? You just got to trust our good looks. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? We need accountability. We know that. And now we have some things in place where we can give accountability. To have a constitution in place. To know the organizational structure of the church. Wouldn't that be nice? How are decisions made? And what is my role here? And, and you know, what responsibilities do I have? You know, we, we can't ask you to have more buy-in unless we tell you how to do that. And, and so the good news is this. For the last two years we've been working on this. There's been a lot of changes. Uh, and for all intents and purposes, we've got, I think, something that, that, is, uh, that God's really given to us to share with you. And that's what we'll be doing on, on January 24th. Right now, it sounds like my whole sermon was a big commercial. And I didn't mean it to come out like that. But the, the thing is, whether you go to that or not, is I want you, I want us to be covenanting, to be thanking God for what he's done, and to be praying that we'll see more of it. A double portion, a triple portion, that God's work will be done in our midst. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I want to close in prayer. First of all, I think it would be good if we right now, if we just said, Lord, we thank you for all that you have done in 98 in the years previous. We give you, Lord, all the glory. Praise God. All the credit goes to you. All the credit goes to you, Lord. We thank you for every soul that's been saved. Hallelujah. We thank you for every growth, all the growth in people's lives. Hallelujah. We thank you for each community group. 
We give you all the glory. It is to your credit, Lord God. It is to your credit and your glory. Lord God, our commitment is that never will a human being take credit for what you do. Because the only reason we do anything is that you'll receive the glory. And then, Lord God, we close with this prayer, Lord. Will you please continue to protect us from any buy-in to the cultural, deistic, pagan religion of our culture, Lord God. And always, Lord God, make us a people who have a radically distinct understanding of what the gospel is about and who walk with that countercultural edge, Lord God. Keep us faithful to your word and nothing else, Lord God. Keep us faithful to your heart and nothing else, Lord God. Uh, Lord God, we pray that you would be pouring out your spirit in all areas of Wilden Hills Church throughout 99. And our job, Lord God, is just to be doing all that we can do to keep up with you, as we always have been. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.